Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and supplemented them with research into ancient Greek history. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Listen, do you hear it? It is your last breath. Your final act as a member of the living. And your first as a shade of the dead. Your physical body lies beneath you. Forget it. Your loved ones will take care of the necessary preparations. But you have a journey ahead of you. Ah. Here's Hermes, right on time. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Hanging in there? <laughs> Sorry, poor choice of words. You look surprised to see me. I get it, no one expects their mailman to be the first face they see when they give up the ghost, but I'm not here on Olympus business. Grab the cloak, hold on tight, and don't make me use the staff. Hermes is the first of the psychopomps, the spirit guides who lead mortal souls to the afterlife. He will take you as far as the River Acheron, the barrier between your world and mine. Well, we're here. I'd love to stay in chat, but mortals are dropping like flies up there. Adio! On the bank of the river, you join the great throng of the recent dead. <laughs> they are not a happy bunch. Push your way to the front of the crowd if you can. Charon's skiff can only fit so many, and you do not want to dally here long. Ruddy-faced Charon cuts through the dark water on his rowboat. His cloak is filthy, his beard unkempt, his eyes burn like live coals. As he nears the shore, the crowd surges forward. He beats them back with his oar. It's your lucky day, but passage to my realm isn't free. Reach into your mouth now. If your family has buried you properly, you should find a single iron oboe. It is the least valuable coin in all Gaia, but here, shades would trade all their worldly wealth for it. Rich or poor, in death, all are equal. <laughs> With your fare paid, Kiran welcomes you to board and you push off. There are five rivers in the underworld, and your journey through them will be slow. But soon enough you reach the far shore, and the next member of your welcoming party... Cerberus is not a psychopomp exactly, more guardian than guide. He is a great three-headed hellhound with a mane and tail of serpents. He guards the gate to my realm, but you have nothing to fear from him today. There is still far to go, through the Stygian marshes and fields of mourning, to the place where the road forks. One path leads to Tartarus, where accursed souls suffer punishments to fit their crimes. Another path leads to Elysium, those amber fields where true heroes enjoy a well-earned respite at last. But for most souls, there is only the path to the Asphodel Meadows. 
There, they will find neither pain nor paradise, but a gray eternity of gloom and shadow. All of this is my kingdom. I am Hades, Lord of Shades. You will find me a fair, if unyielding, ruler. I care little for offerings, and even less for your adoration. I cannot be swayed with riches or prayers. I have only one rule. No one leaves. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This October, join us for Mythology Underworlds, where we explore four stories of the afterlife through classic myths. Each week, we'll see what the ancient Greeks, Norse, and Egyptians believed happened after you passed on. These underworlds are a relief, but also terrifying in their own right. Today, we're descending to the Greek afterlife to meet Hades, the ruler of the gloomy underworld realm that shares his name. Second only to Zeus and Hercules, Hades is one of the most famous characters in all of Greek mythology, and yet he may also be its most misunderstood. Far from the villain he plays in modern fiction, Hades is an ominous figure in the background of many key myths, but he rarely steps into the spotlight. For this episode, we've woven together a number of lesser-known stories in an original narrative designed to bring you the true Hades, how the Greeks saw him. Along the way, we'll meet a number of his ghoulish subjects, the gods, demons, and spirits that call the underworld home. Coming up, the descent begins. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by The Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 Platinum Jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. The Lord of Shades, the Unseen, Notorious One, He Who Has Many Guests, 
The ancient Greeks had many titles for Hades, probably because saying his name out loud was considered unlucky. Along with sacrifices and prayers, calling out a god's name was a way of invoking their favor. But Hades was one god whose attention you really didn't want. He was described as grim, stalwart, regal, unmoving, and diligent. In many ways, he was the polar opposite to his younger brother, Zeus, who spent his time drinking ambrosia in Olympus, romancing mortal women, and dodging the wrath of his wife, Hera. Hades had comparatively few romances, and his marriage to Persephone appears as one of the strongest in the Greek pantheon. And that's just the start of the ways Hades stands apart from his family. Despite being one of the six original children of Cronus, he is not an Olympian and lives apart from his siblings in the underworld. He's depicted far less frequently in statues and other artwork. Many of the pieces that do exist show him facing away from the viewer, symbolizing that his face cannot be known to mortals until they are beyond this world. He is literally unseen, an anthropomorphic embodiment of our fear of the unknown. This attitude of fearful respect toward death and the afterlife may explain why there were so few myths with Hades at their center, and also why there are so few places where he was worshipped. One of the only known temples was at Pylos in Elis. It is said that it was open only one day a year, and that then only one priest was allowed to enter. I was just a girl when I arrived at that place, ready to join the thonic priests and priestesses. It was on my first day, after being cleaned and anointed with oils, that they asked me the question, did I know my God? Could I tell his tale? I thought for a moment, then launched into my favorite story, how Orpheus, lover of dead Eurydice, descended into Hades' realm and sang a song so sweet that even the grim Lord of Shades was moved to tears. They stopped me before I could go any further. That is Orpheus' story, they said, and encouraged me to try again. Chastised, I opted for something safer. I told them how the maiden Cory was picking flowers one day when the Lord of the Dead appeared on his chariot and, snatching her, carried her back with him to the world below. They stopped me again. That is Persephone's tale, they said, voices full of reproach. I was running thin on stories now, but I tried once more, telling how Cerberus was caught and... That is Hercules' story, they exclaimed, and finally, shamed, I sat in silence and let them tell it, which of course is what they'd wanted from the start. They did not begin by telling how he came to rule the underworld, or with his tragic birth or the bloody Titan War. All that came in time. First, they told me that to know the Lord of Shades, I must know his wrath. He visited it upon many mortals, but none so much as the man who sought to undo death, the good doctor from Thessaly.
Asclepius stood on a hill, watching the funeral procession below. It had been a long day. First, he had overseen the prothesis when the corpse was washed and anointed with oils, then laid on a bed in the family's house for mourners to pay their respects. Next came the ekphora, the long walk to the cemetery, with the female relatives wailing their lamentations of grief. That was over now. The small corpse lay beneath a shawl next to the humble grave, just a small burial mound marked by a slate steli pillar. Now there was only one thing left to do. A woman stepped forward and knelt beside the body, pulling back the shawl to reveal the face of a small boy. Gingerly, she opened his mouth and placed a coin on his tongue. An oboe coin, your fairy toll. Safe passage, love, my heart, my soul. The more I see all things they know. When we arrive and when we go. Clotho spins the thread of fate. Lachesis measures. The hour is late Atropos lifts her shears and cuts He calls you home The king of dust Metrodor, I am so sorry If my hands had been steadier You did as well as any physician could, Asclepius my son's death was written long before he was in your care. We must accept the plan the fates have for us. I'm afraid I'm not very good at accepting defeat. That is why you are a good doctor. You fight to the very last breath. But once that breath is spent, it is time to say goodbye. As I must do now. Excuse me. Asclepius watched as the body was placed inside the mound and covered with earth. One by one, the mourners started drifting away, heading back to the city. When Asclepius departed, the boy's mother was still standing beside the grave. But in time, even she left. The grave sat undisturbed for many hours. It was almost dawn when Asclepius returned. Shovel in hand, he climbed the burial mound and began to dig. He worked for the better part of an hour, only pausing to wipe the sweat from his brow or take a drink from his water skin. He was so focused on his task, he did not notice the bright, yellow eyes watching from a nearby grove, the eyes of a screech owl. The bird watched with interest, following the doctor's every move. It saw him climb down into the grave, and when he emerged with the body a moment later, it lifted off and soared into the night. Asclepius carried the body up the hill to his house. When he reached the door, he glanced around to make sure he had not been followed, 
then disappeared inside. The doctor's workshop was a sight to behold. A long, bare table ran through the center of the room. Blades, hooks, and medical instruments were arranged neatly on a counter against one wall. The others were lined with shelves holding books and jars of herbs and other ingredients. A few containers held mysterious dark liquids of red, black, and green. An especially large one held the pickled body of a stillborn goat. Asclepius carefully laid the corpse on the table, then lit a candle. In the dim light, he began to work. First, the knife. Cutting the brachial artery, draining the blood. I must make room. Second, the bottle, a transfusion of Medusa's blood, taken from the right side after Perseus slew her. The blood from her left side would kill a man, but this will call him back from the gates of death. But not by itself. There is one last ingredient, the leaf. To place it on the tongue, I must first remove the obol. It is blasphemous to steal the coin meant for Charon, but I trust the gods forgive me else they would not let my work continue. Perhaps you have simply gone unnoticed. Who's there? Asclepius looked up to see a man materializing out of the shadows in the act of removing his helmet. As it left his head, he became solid, a towering pillar of inky black robes and ivory skin. His wild hair and beard were dusky black, as was the helmet now clutched under one arm. He stared at the doctor and his work with dark, burning eyes. Gorgon's blood, doctor? What use does a physician have for such unusual ingredients? The comment broke Asclepius from his state of shock. He leapt forward and grabbed a scalpel from the table, pointing it at the intruder. Stay back, whoever you are. Whoever I am. Do you not know me, Asclepius? I've never seen you before in my life. <laughs> there are few who do. What name would you prefer, Doctor? I am the Unseen, the Wealthbringer, the one who has many guests. He to whom all things return. I am the one whose kingdom you burglarize with paltry magics. I am the god whose name you dread. Hades. Indeed. I am Hades. And I do not forgive. Coming up... Best intentions set the underworld on a course for chaos. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices. Others warn of impending doom. And then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organizations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand 
how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial, or collegiate kind, attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight. All are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Asclepius stood beside his work table, knife still raised and pointed at the throat of Hades. The pale underworld god had interrupted the doctor in the midst of a complex procedure. Earlier that night, he had dug up the corpse of a young boy, which now lay on the table with a tube made of sheep's bladder inserted in his arm. The tube led to a large crystal vial that was slowly draining of liquid. Neither Hades nor Asclepius blinked, each waiting for the other to make the first move. (gasps) The dead body on the table sat up with a sudden gasp, making Asclepius jump in shock. The boy looked around the room with a vacant expression. Intrigued, Hades turned his dark gaze to the corpse. Hmm, interesting. Tell me, how exactly did you manage this? The boy, doctor. He was dead. Now he is alive. How? I... I used the blood of the Gorgon Medusa. And an herb. It is difficult to explain. Why don't you try? It happened years ago, in this room. I had a patient who was dying. Nothing I did was working. I was deep in thought, trying to find some remedy, when a snake slithered across my floor. Unnoticed by me, it climbed up my walking stick and wound itself around it. When I finally saw the serpent, I grabbed the staff and bashed it against the table, killing the snake instantly. I dropped the staff, and the most peculiar thing happened. A second snake appeared, entering through the same hole the first one came through. It held a leaf in its mouth. It slithered across the room, up the staff, and placed this leaf in the mouth of the dead snake. I saw the dead one twitch, and then they were both alive and crawling out my door. How clever of them. Serpents are special creatures with many secrets. They are one of few animals that pass between our worlds. Yes, well, I examined the leaf. I never seen anything like it, but I kept looking. It took me years to find more. And ever since, you have been using it to bring your dead patients back to life. How many has it been? This boy will be my ninth. And how many were changed when they woke? How many were like him? Hades gestured to the boy on the table. He was staring at the wall blankly. Since his awakening, he had not uttered a word. A few were like him, I'm afraid. Unable to speak or do much of anything. One was worse. He woke up screaming. That one was a soul condemned to Tartarus. You really should not have brought him back. This boy must have drank from the waters of the river Lethe before you revived him. It removed all memories of his life. That's horrible. It is a mercy for those who go on to the Asphodel Meadows, lest they be endlessly tormented by grief and regret. 
That's it. This is the answer I've been looking for. I just have to make sure they don't drink from the Lethe before I revive them. If I can convince the family to remove their obol, they won't enter the underworld. And then... You think that I will allow you to perform another of these monstrous operations? Do you not understand why I am here? You have tampered with the foundations of the universe, the ancient laws that keep your world from unraveling into chaos. You forced me to abandon my responsibilities to hunt you down. And you think I will let this continue? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't think. No, you did not think. You did not consider the ramifications. Well, I have. And this ends now. Your procedure and all memory of it must be destroyed. What will you do to me? I'm not sure. Nothing quite like this has ever happened before. When that madman Sisyphus imprisoned Thanatos, no one died for six months. We sentenced him to roll a boulder up a mountain for eternity. That was for stopping death. For preventing new subjects from entering my realm. But you... You have broken death. You stole my subjects, Asclepius. And I am not a god you take things from. I am the one who takes. I suppose that's it then. If I could just say one last thing. Suddenly, Asclepius grabbed the vial of Gorgon blood and flung it at Hades. A few drops of the dark liquid splattered across Hades' face, causing his skin to sizzle and burn. He covered himself in his cloak, scrubbing furiously with the sleeves. When he lifted his head, Asclepius was gone. The workshop was empty, aside from the revived mute boy, staring vacantly out the open door. Asclepius sprinted down the hill, arms pinwheeling, eyes wide with terror. Dark storm clouds rumbled overhead, blocking any moon that might have lit his way. He was almost at the bottom of the hill when his foot caught a stone, sending him tumbling head over heels into a stream. Drenched and aching, Asclepius dragged himself back onto land. Athena, goddess of wisdom, you know my mind. Protect me. Hygieia, goddess of health, I have only ever served you. Help me. You invoke my family against me? Zeus, lord of the heavens. And now you call upon my baby brother, as if he would help you. I have prayed to him faithfully all my life. He will not abandon me. Have you met Zeus? If anything, he was more incensed by your transgression than I. If mortals do not fear death, then why should they fear him? The king of gods is not so petty. Zeus is not my king, but he was quite adamant that once I found my culprit, I would involve him in exacting punishment. I saw no reason not to humor him. You're lying! Am I? Why don't you ask him yourself? Asclepius looked skyward as the clouds erupted. A bolt of lightning tore the sky, crashing down to strike the exact spot where the doctor stood. 
Hades turned away. The years of darkness had left his eyes sensitive to light, and the flare of Zeus's thunderbolt was bothersome. His visits to Tartarus had accustomed him to the smell of burning flesh, so he did not notice it now. If Asclepius screamed at all, it was lost amidst the roar of thunder. As the lightning faded, the clouds opened, unleashing the sheets of rain they had been holding back. Hades turned skyward and shut his eyes, letting the drops fall on his face. He did not visit the surface world often. This trip had been a rare exception, but he'd been so focused on solving the mystery of the missing shades, there had been little time to enjoy it. It wasn't that he wasn't allowed here. According to the agreement with his brothers, the Earth and Mount Olympus were common ground, where any of the gods could come and go as they pleased. But running the realm of the dead left little time for frivolous trips. Not that the overworld didn't have its charms. He had forgotten the smell of summer rain, the feeling of wet grass beneath his feet. He had already been gone from home for so long. Would anyone really miss him if he stayed one more day? Hades' reverie was broken by the sound of rapidly beating wings. He turned back toward the charred corpse of Asclepius and found a figure in a traveler's cloak and winged helmet stooping over it. The man spotted Hades and flashed a cheeky grin. Hades! Hello, Hermes. What are you doing up here? Haven't seen you in a while. Come to think of it, no one's seen you in a while. I've been investigating the disappearance of some shades from my realm. This doctor discovered the means to bring the dead back to life. Ooh, yeah. Big Papa Zeus would not like that. Mm-mm. Not one bit. He meant well, I expect. But if allowed to continue, his procedure would have had unpredictable repercussions. Uh, sure, sure. Say, what about the folks he brought back? Am I going to be rounding them up next? Because if I could combine some trips here... The resurrected shades will stay here for now. If I took them back, they would have no coin for Charon and would be bought entry. That is a fate I would prefer no soul suffers. Their memories will never return, but their minds may. When they die again, they will hopefully receive a second burial with a second obol. It is the best I can offer them. <gasps> Hades and Hermes heard the startled gasp and turned to see Asclepius's ghostly shade staring down at his own corpse in horror. He looked up and spotted the two gods watching them. In an instant, the ghost scrambled to his feet and started running as fast as he could in the opposite direction. Well, I better get Dr. Crispy downstairs. I'm guessing you're heading in the same direction? Soon enough. There was a temple nearby in my name, believe it or not. I thought I might visit it. Mm, you sure that's a good idea? You've been gone a while. Might be smart to check in. What are you implying, Hermes? Is there something below that requires my attention? I'm not the god to ask. Haven't been past the Acheron since you left town. But I hear things. Such as? Such as, the sooner Hades gets back to the Underworld, the better. 
Anywho, I got places to be, shades to collect, got a herald at my heroes. Be good, Hades. Adio. Before Hades could stop him, Hermes launched himself into the air. Within seconds, he caught up with Asclepius, picked him up by his tunic, and kept heading for the horizon. Hades watched them until Hermes was out of view. Then he lifted his helmet and, placing it on his head, faded into the night. Coming up, Hades returns to a house in turmoil. Now back to the story. When the priest told me how Zeus and Hades punished the physician Asclepius for bringing the dead back to life, I felt the first stir of doubt in my heart. I loved my god, but his anger toward the doctor seemed misguided. Was it a crime to seek life, to stave off death however possible? When I asked the priest this, I saw their faces darken and thought for a moment that they would cast me out. But instead, they continued their story. Only this time, they changed course, taking us back to the very beginning. In the beginning, there was only chaos, the empty void of nothingness from which all else sprang. But what was chaos? A person or place? Or perhaps a primordial beast? Chaos, it seems, was all of these and more. From chaos came the Protogonoi, the first gods, Nyx, the night, Eros, desire, Erebus, shadow, Tartarus, the pit, and Gaia, the mother earth. From Gaia came Uranus, the father sky. Earth and sky lay together and birthed the Titans. Their youngest son was Cronus. Mm, dear old dad. He didn't like the way grandfather was running things, so he took his scythe and lopped off the old man's balls. After the castration of Uranus, the Titans ruled the cosmos, with Cronus at their head. But Cronus came to fear that history would repeat itself, and one of his own children would overthrow him as he overthrew his father. So he did not give them the chance. Not a chance in hell. The monster swallowed us the moment we were born. The first three children were daughters, Hestia, Demeter, and Hera. All of these he devoured in turn. Can you imagine it? To open your eyes for the first time to the warm glow of daylight. Then came the first boy. And then? His name was Hades. Down the gullet. In the stomach of my father, there was no telling where I ended and my siblings began. There was only pain and darkness and madness. It was there that I first learned the meaning of chaos.
After he found the physician Asclepius and put an end to his blasphemous procedure, Hades hoped for a long overdue respite. The search had kept him away from home for many days and nights. Too long, apparently. The herald Hermes spoke of rumors from the world below. Rumors that not all was right in the house of Hades. So Hades sped home without delay. To be precise, he fell. Hades plummeted through the earth, hair whipping his face, cloak billowing around him like smoke. The tunnel led straight down into the earth, through miles of rock. Hades passed stalactites like inverted mountains, insects as large as horses, the bones of long-dead giants, stone fields littered with jewels, and rivers of bubbling lava. Then he passed through a final layer of earth and the underworld stretched out beneath him. Hades landed on the bank of the Stygian Marsh, right outside the towering gates of the dead. The great black doors of stone stretched toward the distant ceiling, the walls built from the bones of humanoid creatures extended in either direction as far as the eye could see. As he straightened to full height, Hades braced himself, expecting three warm, wet tongues to hit him at any moment. But they did not come. Cerberus! Here, boy! Where is that dog? Now that he looked around, the marshy area outside the gate was completely empty. He turned, peering across the river. On the distant shore, he could just make out the pale, glowing shades of the recent dead, waiting to be ferried across. Only they weren't just waiting. They were fighting, biting, clawing, and pushing in a desperate bid to stay on dry land. Hades watched as a gossamer figure lost their foothold and tumbled into the dark water. There were more of them than normal, more than the riverbank could hold, in fact. Hades scanned the dark water, but there was no sign of Charon's ferry anywhere. Hermes, you should have told me it was this bad. Brow furrowing in mounting anger, Hades marched toward the gate. He reached beneath his robes and fished out a ring of golden keys, but he didn't have a chance to use them. The massive stone gates groaned slowly open. When they were wide enough to pass through, a single cloaked figure stood in the gap, barring the entrance. Who's there? Icus? Rhadamanthus? It is a common misconception that Hades is the god of death. This is false. Hades is king of the underworld and thus rules over the dead, but he is not death itself. Welcome home, my lord. That title belongs to another. Thanatos. 
The golden-haired youth who stepped out of the doorway was nearly a full head shorter than Hades, with a face as sweet and docile as a baby lamb. You would not have thought he could hurt a fly were it not for the sword strapped to his belt. Thanatos, it is good to see you. But what's going on here? Where is Cerberus? Why is Charon's ferry not running? There have been some changes since you left. What do you mean, changes? I left specific instructions. Please, Lord Hades, if you would just come to the palace, it will all make more sense. I'm sorry, the Queen asked me not to say more. What are you talking about? It's high summer. Persephone's at her mother's. Not Persephone. The, um, the new Queen. Ah, now I understand. Very well, then. Take me to your mother. Hades followed Thanatos out of the Stygian marshes and across the fields of mourning. In every region, he saw an underworld falling into disarray. His pomegranate orchards grew wild and untamed. His cattle ran untended through the Lethian fields, devouring the grain meant for the retired heroes. But most troubling of all were the shades. Many seemed to have wandered out of the areas meant for them. Lost, they ambled through the fields and swamps. Each time Hades saw one, he felt his heart tighten with anger. How long until a restless soul wandered into Tartarus? How many had already been lost to the flaming waters of the Phlegathon? These thoughts weighed heavily on his mind as he crossed the Asphodel Meadows. As they crested a hill, their destination finally loomed into view. Huge, dark, and glittering with streaks of raw gold, the monolithic Palace of Hades jutted over the landscape like a crumbling tombstone. Home sweet home. Hades followed Thanatos into his own throne room. After the barren landscapes of the underworld, he was surprised to find it crowded with dozens upon dozens of gods, demons, and monsters of all shapes and sizes. He spotted Charon, the ferryman, in his grimy cloak, the three fates with their loom, the winged furies, and the three judges of the dead. Even the Aneroi, the dark-winged spirits of dreams and nightmares, had left their caves. And, of course, Cerberus, the three-headed hellhound, lay at the end of the hall, chained and muzzled beside Hades' throne. He leapt eagerly to his feet, trying to run to his master, but the chains held. The throne was magnificent, a giant rock of gold carved into the rough semblance of a chair, but it was nothing compared to the woman seated upon it. <laughs> well, well, if it isn't the prodigal king returned at last. Welcome home, Hades. It is a well-known fact that of all the Olympians, Zeus is the most physically powerful, perhaps because of his thunderbolts, or maybe because out of all of his siblings, he alone escaped the maw of Cronus. It is said that all the gods feared him. 
But there is one deity who even Zeus dared not cross. Hello, Nyx. Enjoying my chair? Nyx, primordial goddess of the night, sat cat-like on Hades' throne. Regal, tall, and beautifully pale, she was draped in robes of shadow and darkness. She fixed Hades with piercing violet eyes and smiled. It was your chair, but then you left, and I found that I quite like it. So I thought I'd keep it, along with everything else. At Nix's words, a chorus of growls, hisses, and excited laughter rose from the crowds of monstrous onlookers. Hades ignored them. As you are well aware, Nix, I was dealing with a problem. A mortal was tampering with the cycle of life and death, an action that, if left unchecked, could have led to an unraveling. Poor, overworked Hades. I'm sure your troublesome doctor kept you very busy. Did I say doctor? Oops. You knew. I wondered why I had so much trouble finding him. You were cloaking as Clepius, weren't you? Hiding him to keep me away from you as long as possible. <laughs> I'm surprised at you, Nyx. Revolt is one thing, but this... Do you realize what you could have done? Oh, <laughs> don't be so serious, Hades. No one likes a god without a sense of humor. No one likes a traitor, either. Hmm... That implies you have a claim to this throne. And, let's be honest, what claim do you really have? The claim of conquest to start. My brothers and I freed the universe from the tyranny of the Titans. If you'd participated, you might have had a part of the spoils. As I remember, you were content to sit on the sidelines. Sidelines? I did not concern myself with your war because it was beneath me. I was here before you, and I was here before Cronus and Uranus. I emerged from chaos with darkness at my side and made my family from nothing. The Titans at least had the respect to leave me be, but you and your brothers, you turned my home into a prison. And you know how they decided who should run it? They drew lots. That's how little thought they gave to my domain. They drew for it. And Hades drew the short straw. Tell them. Tell them the god of the underworld didn't even want it. She's right. There was a drawing. The cosmos needed to be divided, and it seemed like the fairest way. But we never saw the subterranean realm as lesser than the sea or sky. They are all equal estates. <laughs> as if you believe that. You've always been jealous of your brother's realms. However, I admit that in retrospect, our means of selecting territories does seem a bit... haphazard. More like full hazard, if you ask me. But I'm glad you see the error of your ways. This time around, I thought we'd try something different. A popular vote. They're all the rage in Athens these days. What say you all? Who thinks Hades should rule? I do! 
As if he'd been waiting for this question, Thanatos instantly stepped forward, raising his hand high for all to see. Nyx's nostrils flared, but she contained her anger and scanned the rest of the hall. A few other beings followed Thanatos, the judges, two of the fates, and to Hades' surprise, even one or two of the Aneroi raised their hands, but still far less than half. Nyx turned to Hades, lips curling into a triumphant sneer. Not looking too good for you there, Hades. What do you have to say? Only this. Hades stretched out a hand toward Nyx. With his fist clenched tight, the goddess tensed, ready to defend herself. But then Hades uncurled his fingers, revealing his ring of golden keys. The keys to the underworld. They are yours. No, you can't! Quiet, boy. It's all right, Thanatos. It's obvious your mother has more support than I do. How could she not, when half the underworld's citizens are her children? I have little to say that will convince your siblings, so it's best that we begin the transition as soon as possible, for continuity's sake. That's very understanding of you. First, it is of utmost importance that the systems of death continue to function. Mortal lives must end as predetermined by the threads of fate. And why should I care about such things? Oh, come now, Nyx. The fates are your children. You know how important their work is. Unless you want to see chaos reintroduced into the world, then it is only a matter of time before all of this unravels. The underworld, the overworld, day, yes, even night. <sighs> Fine. Thanatos will continue his work. As if I could stop him. He seems to have absorbed your tedious dutifulness. Excellent. Since the mortals will continue dying, you're going to need somewhere to put them. Hermes will keep bringing them here. Now, I've designated a number of regions throughout the underworld, delineated primarily by behavior and life. But you may find a different system preferable. Ugh. Hades, can't this wait? I'm afraid not. Zeus has been asking me to visit Olympus for ages, and I'd much prefer to spend my retirement surrounded by family with a cup of ambrosia in hand. Now, transportation. I've always found Charon reliable. Stop! Just stop! What's wrong, Nyx? If you're going to run the underworld, you need to have a plan, or this whole place will devolve into chaos. That's not what you want, is it? Is that what anyone here wants? Hades directed the last question to the room. None of the gods or monsters responded. Many shifted uncomfortably or failed to meet his eyes. A few began inching for the exits. With an exasperated sigh, Nyx pushed herself up off the throne. <sighs> you know what, Hades? I've thought about it, and after the mess you've made of this place, cleaning up after you just... Well, frankly, the thought of it bores me. But my retirement... Not my problem, I'm afraid. And I've got my own business to attend to. Night falls. I must away. 
Without another word, Nick strutted past Hades, down the hall, and out the doorway. A crowd of spirits followed, as if hoping that if they exited quickly enough, no one would remember they'd been there in the first place. Only Thanatos stayed, watching Hades with an expression of awe. Hades strode to his throne and unlocked Cerberus's chains. There now. That's better, isn't it, boy? That was amazing! The way you told her that you were ready to just walk away from all this! I almost believed you! You were bluffing, weren't you? Get me the latest headcount and send everyone back to the post at once. Karen will need help for a few days. See if we can find a few extra skiffs and people to man them. The Fury should start patrolling for wandering shades. Oh, and there's someone on his way down. Asclepius, the physician. Make sure he gets routed here. I'll handle his sentencing personally. What are you smiling at? Nothing, my lord. Then get moving. We've got a lot of work to do. Thanatos loosened his cloak, releasing a pair of massive black feathered wings. With a single powerful beat, he lifted off and soared out of the throne room. Now alone with Cerberus, Hades dropped his helmet and sank into his throne. He rubbed his forehead, then reached down to scratch one of the hellhounds' three enormous heads. Well, Cerberus, I'm back. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with the second part to Hades' story. Join us as Hades' universe is plunged into chaos and the forces of the underworld rise to meet the armies of Olympus. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back next Tuesday with the conclusion of this epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Tiana Camacho, Brian Green, and Cameron Nicod. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed or world domination, each week we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.